Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And that means you should be grateful for friends who care enough to confront you out of love and concern. And in the Bible, there is a group of people who are called to the difficult task of speaking hard words of truth out of love and concern for God's people, to correct them and confront them and to try to save them from disobedient ways of living that lead to disaster and death. And these people in the Bible are called prophets. And in our journey through the 66 books of the Bible, we are now beginning a new part of the Hebrew Bible called the prophets. And the prophets represent a special part of the Bible. They have a really difficult job because they're inspired and called by God to tell the people, including the most powerful people, what they don't want to hear. Would you want that job? Having to tell people, even the most powerful people in the land, what they don't want to hear. And they implore everyone who hears their words to act on what they don't want to hear before it's too late. And it's amazing, if you think about it, that we have the words of the prophets because all of them in their time were minority voices. They were all swimming upstream against the tide, trying to persuade and convince people to change their ways and to return to God, to return to God's will for love and compassion and justice and peace. And they spoke God's truth to political and religious leaders as well as to the common, ordinary people. Now, if you've listened to me preach for any length of time, you know that I stress the love, grace, mercy, and goodness of God. And without those, we're all lost, right? And while we're thankful for those aspects of God's character, there are also times when God gets angry. God gets ticked precisely because God is loving, gracious, merciful, and good, and people aren't being treated in loving, merciful, good, and just ways. That's what makes God angry. And one of those times is in the first chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was from Jerusalem. He was married to a woman he called the prophetess. He had at least two sons. And Isaiah means salvation of God or God is salvation. And you heard that theme in a couple songs that we started the service with today. And it's good to remember that Isaiah means salvation of God since most of the first 33 chapters of the book are filled with words of judgment and condemnation against the people of Jerusalem and Judah and of other nations, all because of their lack of justice. And the book of Isaiah begins with God speaking about the shallowness of faith of so many people and the unethical, violent behavior that is ruining so many lives and devastating the nation. 
And God is fed up with religious services and sacrifices that are done without any change to the ethical behavior of the people and the lack of love for those who need it most. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 11, to what the Lord says. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Tough job being a prophet. Our Advent theme is love is the gift of Christmas. Justice is what love looks like in practice. You hear that? Love is what justice looks like. Justice is what love looks like in practice. And today's scripture from the prophet Isaiah talks about some specific ways people can put love in action. And specifically in verse 17, God says through the prophet, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And it's as important for God's people to engage in all of those actions today as it was in Isaiah's time. To come alongside those who need love the most. Those who are suffering injustice or oppression. To defend the orphan. To comfort and aid the grief-stricken. To help those who are struggling or hurting for any reason. Uh, Brian Zand noted in an article titled, My Problem with the Bible... He wrote the following. He said, one of the remarkable things about the Bible is that we find in it the narrative told from the perspective of the poor, the oppressed, 
the enslaved, the conquered, the occupied, the defeated. This is what makes it prophetic. We know that history is written by the winners. That's true, except in the case of the Bible. It's the opposite. This is the subversive genius of the Hebrew prophets. They wrote from a bottom-up perspective. Imagine a history of colonial America written by Cherokee Indians and African slaves. That would be a different way of telling the story, wouldn't it? And that's what the Bible does. It's the story of Egypt, told not by the Pharaoh, but by the slaves. It's the story of Babylon, told by the exiles. The story of Rome, told by the occupied. What about those brief moments when Israel appeared to be on top? In those cases, the prophets told Israel's story from the perspective of the peasant poor as a critique of the royal elite. If you look at church history, we have to confess that the church has done a better job with charity than it has with justice. Yet justice is spoken of more than 165 times in the Bible. That's a lot of verses. And it's especially found in Psalms, Proverbs, and Isaiah, and in the prophets. The book of Psalms is filled with God's concern for justice. For example, in Psalm 103, verse 6, that says, The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. Psalm 10, O Lord, you will hear the desire of the meek. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice for the orphan and the oppressed so that those from earth may strike terror no more. No one speaks more about justice in the Bible than Isaiah. Justice is spoken of more in the book of Isaiah than any other book in the Bible. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Even a cursory look at the Bible, it teaches us that justice is a chief attribute of God. God is the defender of the poor and the oppressed, and the demands of God's justice extend beyond the borders of Israel to every nation. And since the justice of God is characterized by a special concern for the poor, the weak, and the oppressed, the same is demanded of God's people. And when we work for and pursue justice, then Isaiah tells us we are agents of God's will. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul presents God's justice as a grace flowing into and through believers to the needy. And the demand of God for justice is so central that other responses to God are empty or diminished if they exist without it. So says the prophets Amos and Micah and Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Justice is demanded of all people, but particularly of those who are in positions of political, political power and authority. Now, if you're not careful, it's easy to become accepting of wrongs in the world rather than working to right them, especially if you benefit. Proverbs 28, verses 5 and 6 says, "...the evil do not understand justice." But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. In Isaiah chapter 1, it's like a courtroom scene. Any of you like watching TV shows that enjoy lots of courtroom dynamics? Because that's what Isaiah 1 is presented as. 
It's like a courtroom scene. And the Lord is, first of all, accusing the people of being guilty of so much injustice. And then God offers a plea bargain. You know what a plea bargain is, right? If the people will make themselves clean and cease to do evil, if they learn to do good, if they seek justice, if they rescue the oppressed and become obedient to the call of God, then their sins will be forgiven them. And they shall again eat of the good of the land. But if they reject the plea and continue to rebel, they'll face destruction and desolation. You see, back in Isaiah's day, the fundamental economic and social unit was the extended family group. And widows and orphans who didn't have an extended family didn't have economic support. They didn't have someone to defend them. They didn't have anyone to speak on their behalf in court. And as a result, they were among the most vulnerable members of society and at risk of being exploited. And like the people of Isaiah's time, we're called to correct oppression and to seek justice for those on the margins of society who don't have access to or influence upon those who are in power. If you think about the events around the birth of Jesus that we'll be celebrating very soon, In the birth of Christ, God makes a very clear statement in coming into the world. God does not come to the powerful. God doesn't come via the wealthy. God comes to a very humble couple. The angel's announcement that David referenced in his prayer of a Savior who is Christ the Lord isn't spoken to religious leaders in Jerusalem. It's given to shepherds out working the night shift. The baby whose birth we celebrate at Christmas grows up to be a servant leader who focuses on helping people do exactly what the Lord says we're supposed to do in Isaiah chapter 1. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Think about all those things in light of the life of Jesus. Well, first of all, Jesus doesn't have to cease to do evil because he never did any. That makes it a little easier for him than it does for most of us. And when he was tested in the wilderness by Satan, he answered every test by quoting God's word and being true to his calling. And he didn't succumb to the temptation to take care of his own legitimate needs or to seek power or to avoid the path of suffering. Jesus doesn't have to learn to do good either, but he teaches others what doing good looks like. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He delivers those afflicted by demonic oppression. He even raises the dead. And later in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, when the apostle Peter is is summing up what Jesus did, he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good. Just hear that phrase. What did Jesus do? He went about doing good. And healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Wouldn't it be awesome if when people thought of you, I mean you, every single one of you. If people thought of you, if people thought of BBC, if people thought of Christians in general, if their first thought was, those are those people who are always going around doing good. There are worse ways to be known in life. That's how, I mean, when Peter is telling Cornelius and his household, how do we remember Jesus? And Peter was pretty close to him. He went about doing good 
and healing. Jesus doesn't come to seek justice. He comes to bring God's justice into reality. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 19 tells us, when he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of, guess who? The prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolls the scroll and he finds the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To do what? To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus spends the rest of his earthly life doing exactly those things. Jesus comes to rescue the oppressed and to let them go free. What is oppression? Oppression is the unjust use of power at other people's expense. That's what it is. The unjust use of power at other people's expense. And oppression in the Bible is the same. It works the same way as it does today. The powerful take more for themselves at the expense of the weak. Jesus does the exact opposite of this. He uses his power for other people's benefit, to help them to healing and wholeness and freedom and salvation. And we heard from the first five books of the Bible, back in the summer, I know it was a long time ago, that living in harmony with God and with the land that God is giving involves justice for the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, the alien, the disabled, and the poor. And the prophet Isaiah and Jesus simply continue this tradition. The Lord says to defend the orphan. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he lays hands on them and he goes on his way. The Lord says through Isaiah, plead for the widow. And in Jesus' ministry, we see him interacting with widows at different times. Just two examples. Jesus praises a widow for her generosity and faithfulness, lifting her up as an example to others in Luke chapter 21 and verses 1 through 4, when it says he looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. And then in Luke chapter 7 and verses 11 to 16, we have this remarkable story of Jesus intervening on behalf of a grieving widow. It says, soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. And as he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. At Christmas time, 
we celebrate and remember that God has looked favorably on his people by giving us Christ who is good and trustworthy, caring and courageous, and he is for you in every way that a person can be for you. And like Christ, you and I are to share love with those who need it most, whatever their circumstance. And I encourage you to think of ways this Christmas season. Think of ways you can do that. Imagine what would happen in our community and beyond if all of us began to be as concerned for justice as the Lord God and the prophet Isaiah and Jesus Christ. Always remember... Jesus came to proclaim and bring justice. In Matthew chapter 12, we hear the words that David read for us from Isaiah 42, now being applied to Jesus. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. And what will he do? He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. How often do you associate Jesus coming with bringing justice to victory? And it concludes, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Do you know what a Gentile is? I want to make sure we all know. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And so in other words, we are the Gentiles. Almost 2,000 years later, we are those whose hope is in Christ. So this Christmas season, be a person whose life is marked by love and justice and mercy and faith. Justice is what love looks like in, pr in practice. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. These are God's wonderful words of life for you and for me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you for prophets like Isaiah who share challenging words, words that we may not want to hear, but words that are the way that we can experience life and salvation, wholeness, freedom, and transformation. God, we thank you that Jesus is for us. And I pray for each one of us that you'd help us to accept him into our heart and soul as our Lord and our Savior, our teacher and our friend that we might experience his love now and for all eternity. In his name we pray, amen.